You're listening to Always Player One, a solo board gaming podcast. Hello and welcome to Always Player One. I'm Scruffy. And I'm Norm, and today we're going to be talking about Too Many Bones, and also potentially going to be looking at things like randomness in solo games as well, because uh, there's plenty of plenty of bones in this in this game, isn't there, Scruffy? You you could say there are too many, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but let's see, shall we? Yeah, today we'll be looking at to unpack exactly how many bones are too many bones. <laughs> Right, well, uh, shall I dive into the description and we can just get this episode going? Yeah, let's let's go ahead, get, get it over and done with. <laughs> <laughs> Too Many Bones is a game in which you play as one to four gear locks, attempting to deal with encounters in order to gather loot and skill points used to take on a tyrant. At the start of the game, you select your tyrant and which gear lock or locks you would like to play. Each gear lock offers a fairly different approach and unique skills. The game is played over a number of rounds called days, and if you pass the number determined by the tyrant you are facing, you lose. Each day you will draw an encounter card, resolve it, and then you may make one additional action in the recovery phase. In order to be able to win, you must earn progress points by succeeding at encounters. Once the required number for your specific tyrant has been attained, you may challenge it instead of drawing the encounter card for your day. If you win this challenge, you win the game. All encounters will either be challenges or battles, with options which will vary the difficulty and reward for the challenges and battles you can face. Challenges are usually very simple events with consequences, often decided by random dice rolls. Battles will have you face enemies for rewards and are the main focus of the game. Each battle will have a battle queue of enemies, a pile of tokens with values on the back called baddie points. Most battles ask you to generate a battle queue with baddie points equal to the number of gear locks in play times the current day counter. So the difficulty increases as the game goes on. The baddie tokens come in 1 point, 5 point and 20 point varieties and are varied depending on which tyrant you are facing, with each bringing certain sets of enemies into the game and putting the rest back in the box. The battle mat is fairly small with 16 spaces and all characters are either melee or ranged. Melee characters must manoeuvre to be adjacent to their targets, ranged characters can attack anyone anywhere. There are four main stats for your gear locks to develop, health, dexterity, attack, and defense. And there are also skilled dice, which can be unlocked and have unique effects. In battles, you may roll attack, defense, or skill dice up to your dexterity value, minus any spaces you moved your gear lock that turn. Each dice will have one, two, or a bones icon when rolled. The values denote either the damage you deal for attack dice or the amount of damage your gear lock can prevent when attacked with defense dice. Bones are misses, but these also have a use and can be assigned to your gear lock for their backup plan. A set of abilities which use up all the bones when triggered and get progressively more powerful depending on how many bones are spent. After the battle, a win will mean rewards in the form of items, skill points, and progress points. 
whilst a loss usually means no progress is made and no reward given. After this, you enter the recovery phase, in which you may choose to heal your gear lock up to full health, break into high value loot with a mini lock picking game, or manipulate the monster token stacks. You may only take one of these actions. Then a new day begins. That is too many bones in a nutshell. Yeah, too many bones. Hopefully, not too many rules there for. <laughs> no, yeah, it's a, a little bit. It's everything's quite simple, but there's a lot of everything. It's uh, mm. what, what I was realizing when I was writing this out that you know it's um it's got a lot to it. This game and a lot of sort of little things, and you just it's it's hard to get it all out there. You know. No, no, no. Absolutely, I was only kidding. I was only kidding. Um. If it's okay with you, Scruffy, I would like to start with Too Many Bones with something that I think will be a positive for both of us, which is the unique gear locks and the levelling up system and the unique skills of each gear lock, because that's something that I thought was where this game really shined for me. What, What did you think of the kind of unique abilities and the skills and the levelling up decisions that you have to make throughout the game? So I think you're right that the the asymmetry offered by the different gear locks is really fun, that they all feel distinct and unique. And I had a lot more fun playing this game with multiple gear locks where they could play off each other and have their own sort of style and flair come up for sure. I don't know how I feel about the progression. And I'll tell you sort of my main kind of bugbear with that as it is. And that is that the most fun thing with the progression is obviously unlocking unique skills for them or maybe some new attack dice or defense dice. But there's also kind of, you're kind of forced to build a certain way. Like, (laughs) just to make it really clear, like the game gives you a recommended way of building your gear lock for the first sort of few skill points you get. And deviating from that, every time I tried it, I, I failed like big time. I don't know if that's just a thing of not playing the game very much or if that is the the recommended is recommended in bold, in which case that's not a choice I'm making as a player. And I don't like that feeling of having my agency taken away from me there. Yeah, I think for me, because I when I was getting to grips with the game, I really enjoyed the... Uh, I played on the easier difficulty. I know you tried the super hard one straight away because you're a maniac. <laughs> I played on the easier difficulty and I didn't have a problem with this because the first day is the first three days are always the same in the base game. I know there are expansions which add additional uh, special encounters for the first three days, but in the base game, the first three are always the same. And if you're playing on the easier difficulty, you start with an additional training point. So the kind of recommended was done on day one. I would always choose the one with two training points and I would always start with an additional skill point anyway. So the first three kind of level ups, the first three, they're called training points, which are basically your chance to add skills or increase your stats for your character, your gear lock. Playing on that difficulty meant that as I was getting to grips with the game, I was basically looking at day one as part of setup and that kind of recommended start was already done. So, yes, I, I, I had the same thought as you. I thought, will this become tedious? Or is this kind of, oh, you need to do it this way? Is that going to be a problem? Potentially, but after day one, if you're playing on that mode, you've already leveled up three times 
or you've got three training points. So after that, you were really, I felt like you could let loose and really pick whatever you wanted. So is that a problem? Maybe. Is it a small problem? Definitely a very small problem, I think. I See, I don't know if it is a small problem because, so when I, like, I fell in love with the system of, of the way leveling up works and assigning training points work because I'll, I'll lay it out for you a bit now. When you, if you want to level up your skill points, you can just do that. Health and dexterity, you can just throw a point in that, no problem. But if you want to level up your attack or defense, then you have to roll dice either attack dice or defense dice equal to your skill in that already so if you have three attack dice available to you already you have to roll three attack dice and if you roll a bone no luck you have to put that skill point somewhere else so that's a really fun and interesting choice and the strategist in me goes well i I better invest in those early so i can if i fail assign it elsewhere and then later put them in health or something easy but that choice is then kind of removed from you and you're told right from the start now nah, you better put some more in health. Now you've got to, you need to have the most boring stat buffed up a bit because we haven't given you enough. Mm. So those skill points you're getting right from the start of the game, they're not really for you to do what you want with. You have to just account for us not having given you them right from the start. And I'm like, well, if you don't want me to make fun and interesting choices right from the start of the game, don't give me those choices. Just skip term one, remove those three special cards that are the same every game and just give my character bigger stats that make them a valid character for me to then make my own as I play. Oh, I really wish you would have played on the easier difficulty because you do start with two additional health as well. (laughs) So yeah, I really never had these thoughts at all. I wondered if it was a possibility, like I said earlier, I never had those thoughts. As soon as I got into day two and I had my first battle, I was really running free and doing whatever I wanted. So I don't know. Mm. Maybe that's just a more fun setting to play on. I don't know. Yeah, I definitely it would be. Like if if I so those I only started enjoying the game after usually for me once I got past those special cards and maybe after one more battle because then I had the points that you have set up for you in the easier game, right? Mm-hmm. And but being playing on the harder game, I had to spend that time not really developing my character, more just sort of making them baseline before I could then take the interesting choices and grab all their cool, interesting skill dice. And maybe, because it feels exciting when you roll for the attack dice and add an attack dice there or a defense dice and give them that sort of extra strength there. Whereas putting one in HP, that does not feel interesting. <laughs> no, it does feel like you're kind of wasting a little bit. It does feel like you're kind of going, oh, I have to do this. Especially because it's your consolation as well. Like if in the future then you go, okay, I've got that HP there. I've got the dexterity. I'm all set. I'm all ready. I've put the baseline in. Now I'm going to put one in attack. How exciting. And then that's when you roll and you go, oh, okay, I have, I can't. So I'll have put in a one in HP. <laughs> that literally <laughs> happened to me. I was like, why? Why is this happening? Like, you know, why couldn't I put the attack in first and push my luck a little bit there? And, and when I say that you can't do it, I mean, you, you technically you could do it. But you get punished if you do it, like full on, you just get game overs because, I, I mean, the first two games I played, I flouted the recommended stuff. Of course I did, because I'm not going to let them tell me what to do. I have a problem with authority and rules. I'm sorry. Someone writes down, here's how you should play. I go, okay, so how can I play to make it more fun for me then? And uh, every game I, I didn't make it past like some the first few encounters I, I would I'd be losing. And it was partly learning the game, but it was mainly that my characters didn't have the HP. And the minute I changed that and took the recommended thing, I kind of was able to play competitively in the game. 
Yeah, no, I do understand that. That would, I can see why that's a problem for you. Absolutely can. Yeah. Didn't didn't have the problem myself. Can we speak specifically regarding the uh, gear locks, though? How their um, skills work? Because every gear lock has a a number of occupations, right? Yeah. So they they the way that the skills unlock is you have usually I think it's four different sort of areas you can specialize in. And usually, I mean, they're different on every one, but usually you have to unlock certain abilities within those sort of areas to unlock other ones in those same areas. So, for example, if I if I give you an example, uh, Picket has the area, I think they're called occupations, I think you're right. He has the area Captain, Hero, Protector, and Warden. And each of those four is different colors, like you say, and each one has a starting point. So you could maybe put a point in hero and that would mean you could get unlock other areas in the hero area or you could put one in hero one in the first one of captain one in the first one of protector and sort of diversify a bit like that mm-hmm. but again these skill points these training points putting these skills in come at the cost of investing in your base stats so you can only really do these really after a while once you've got your character kind of Ah, uh, you see, so because I was playing on that different setting, I was doing that day two, um, mm. potentially even some on day one, because I've already got two extra health, you know, so I don't need to do that. I get one extra training point before you start. And then if you choose the option on day one to have two additional training points, it's like, well, I might bump up my attack, but then I'm going to unlock this skill, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get going to unlock tantrums axe throwing ability or something along those lines and yeah i just i had so much fun really because the one you choose like you alluded to scruffy it really it doesn't just affect what you choose that time it affects what is available to upgrade later on as well so there's a lot of fun decisions to make there and what is amazing about these skills is they are so different for every character i can't emphasize that enough they are ridiculously different and too many bones are some really clever things with dice mechanics and i think we'll unlock uh, unlock that there we go that's (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. me thinking as a gear lock (laughs) with the trophy i think we'll unpack the specific dice mechanics as, as we go through the episode but yeah i just love the decisions you have to make when you when you're upgrading it sounds like we've had a really different experience with that one but i think that's not because we have a different opinion it's more because i think we played on different settings so we had an yes. experience yeah I, th- I think perhaps it's that the game doesn't account for difficulty very well there does it like i think potentially it would probably be better if the game did other things and i i, I might come on to some sort of things i was thinking that would be really fun later but that whole thing of stripping away your skill points and, and making it so that what it, what it means is you don't get to make interesting decisions as quickly as you did in your games, Norm. And that's a shame because, like you say, it's, it's tantalizing adding a new dice when you get those points and you go, can I, can I finally invest in a skill point? And you go, yeah, I can. But my, you know, my characters were never, especially in the shorter games, never developed to be interesting enough like i just started to get them going and just started to get away from the boring training points and was was finally getting to look at 
a glimpse at what they actually could do. But there was no way in a game against some of the earlier nemesis, for example, that you, you would be able to get a full interesting build. And in the longer games, even, you're not going to get all of them, which is fine, but at least you'd be able to have completed pickets captain area, for example, and got all four of those exciting new dice to play with. No, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I think we should unpack it now. You mentioned something about how the game doesn't account for difficulty. I had something written down about difficulty that I wanted to talk about as well. So let's just let's just dive into it now. I think the, the first thing I want to say regarding difficulty is... <laughs> so if you listen to our Robinson Crusoe episode, you know that we sort of criticised Robinson Crusoe for being too smooth a game, too finely tuned, and not enough rough edges. Well, like we should be careful what we wish for, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> too many bones is just full of janky, sharp edges that do all kinds of weird things. So you said in your intro, Scruffy, about the baddie queue, and the baddie queue is assembled most most of the time from, from baddie points, which are the number of gear locks you have times by the the day you're on on the day counter hmm. but that means that there's some really odd situations where like there's level one level five and level 20 baddies you always pick the, the biggest one first and then move on to smaller ones so playing solo especially you have uh on level four for example you'd be playing it's four baddies and there's only one of you but then you go to day five you're only playing against one baddie because mm-hmm. it's a five-point baddie. So you said in your intro, the, the game gets e- uh, more difficult as, as it progresses. But that's not necessarily true, especially because the bad baddies, this, this is not a bad thing. They have really different and unique effects, and some of them are much more difficult than others. If you get a couple of really nasty ones, just by luck of the draw... You've got a really hard encounter right out of the gate, pretty much. And you know that oh, if I just waited a day to have a fight, it would be much easier. That doesn't, to me, that doesn't make sense. I quite, I don't know how much of a problem it is because like you're on an adventure, right? You should have weird encounters that are ridiculously hard. You should have some that are easier than others. It should feel different and varied every day. I get that. But yeah, I, th- I thought from, you know, compared to, Robinson Crusoe last game where we were saying we wish it had some of those rough edges I thought this is definitely like janky and and off and yeah definitely a definitely a rough edge by comparison so yeah I wonder what you thought of that did you have the same or similar experience yeah sort of uh I was lucky enough that I had Gilly for my games for for a lot of my early games especially and he has one specific ability that lets you either plus or minus the enemies coming in which was really fun so i could just fudge that and a lot of the uh, encounter cards have that as well they'll say for example you can add to the baddie pool unfortunately sometimes they just literally add enemies which i think is a bit of a missed opportunity i think it'd be better if they added value to the baddie queue so that you could have those interesting choices of oh okay so i could add two to this baddie queue from my four baddie queue and i'd be facing a, a five and a one enemy but i'd get extra reward how exciting. Or I could just face the four normal enemies and get a regular reward. I think that 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 is something that the game sometimes really gets really right and really good. And sometimes it kind of misses the ball there, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I was, I messaged you a really fun encounter that I had where uh, it was super early in the game. And 
the encounter said, set the baddie queue for the baddie points, but add two additional one-point baddies on top. So I did that. And then the five-point baddie that was added in because of the setup just so happened to have signal three. Now, signal three is an effect where it means for three rounds, that baddie is going to signal additional baddies to join the bottom of the battle queue. And I was like, this is right at the beginning, and I'm facing... I couldn't kill that that enemy in time, so it got an additional three. So that was five additional baddies, like, mm. right out of the gate. And I thought... I was like... I, I ended up winning, but just by the skin of my teeth. And I thought, if I just had the wrong setup, or if I made one mistake there, I'd have been absolutely annihilated. And it's just... I feel like this game sometimes... It just doesn't care. Like it doesn't even try to balance itself. It's just like, yeah, this encounter is going to be nearly unwinnable or just completely unwinnable, and you need to suck it up, Buttercup. Yeah, I mean, on some ways, I have a kind of love-hate relationship with that. I think that's really exciting and fun. It makes for a more interesting adventure. But the problem is, in this game, losing really feels bad. And the main reason for that is something I want to get onto now, which is that setting up for the battles is tedious in my opinion did you find that yeah you know it's funny you say that because i was actually talking on the discord with varga about the time it takes to play too many bones because depending on if you're playing solo or multi-handed or depending on the tyrant can really affect the game length and i asked them because they played it a bunch i think they said they played it in excess of 70 times i asked them if they get faster at playing and they were saying like some really crazy times like much much shorter than what i was playing and i and i thought to myself well i mean setting up an encounter you read the encounter card you make a decision and then you set it up that that takes about five minutes if there are 10 battles that's 50 minutes like you can't cut that time down yeah that's just you not playing the game that's just you setting up going from encounter to encounter that's that's a long time and I don't think anyone, any other like review or any other people talking about the game, I don't think I've heard anyone say that. That it just it takes a bloody long time, you know? Not just to play the game, but to set the damn thing up between rounds. Yeah, I was worried that was just a tabletop sim thing, because I played my version on tabletop sim. And I dreaded when I pulled up a card and there were no they were all combat choices, which is most cards. And I was like, oh, but I have to have another fight. I'd be looking at the front of the card, just reading it and rereading it. So I didn't have to turn it over and see that I had to do another fight because, and this is why circling back to what you're saying, that losing feels so bad that there are some fights that you, for whatever reason, if you're playing on hard difficulty like others, it, it might be impossible to win. You might make the wrong choice on the thing and go and suddenly draw the wrong enemies or even make the safe choice on the card and still draw just the wrong enemy for your characters in too too early in the game you haven't had the chance to develop enough whatever and in those fights where you have that sort of cascade of bad luck or even if you just have a few bad rounds at the start of the fight and have that because it's a very rng game you kind of realize at some point or at least i did ah it's actually better just to lose this fight now because the consequence for the card is I'm not making any progress, but I'm also not going to lose anything here either. Whereas my alternative might be to spend all my item cards, to burn my consumable dice, you get consumable skill dice for your gear locks, 
and go really heavy on it, hot and heavy, but still lose. And then you've lost not only no progress on the thing, but also all those consumable items. So in those situations, having to set up for that fight, watch it unfold, make your gear locks lose, and then just have essentially what was miss a turn be the outcome, that feels bad. Um, Do you think that could be fixed with like a concede option? I think potentially the only fix is to offer a consolation reward like the game does so well baked into its thing with the misses on the dice. Like they've Mm. done it there. They've done it on the micro game, but not on the macro game. So if you roll the miss, like I said in the description, you roll a bone, that bone can be used for your backup plan. Well, why isn't there a backup plan if you lose the encounter? Why isn't it? You can say, my gear locks are both on low health. We're not going to win this. Let's get out of here, lads. And you have this kind of divergent path that's not as good, maybe doesn't give you progress for your overarching goal, but does give you maybe some loot, some of the locked loot that you can then invest more time into getting yourself out of this horrible situation. The problem is, if you fail an encounter, it snowballs, it compounds to more failure because you're not given the means to get back out. You either get everything or you get nothing. I'll tell you where else the the losing is an issue, is the amount of time, we alluded to the fact that it takes a long time to set up between rounds, and there's probably some people listening thinking, "I've, I've got set up sorted, I've got loads of hacks set up, it doesn't take me any time at all, one to two minutes. Great. That's that's awesome. But but for me, I'm still taking about five minutes to set up a, a, a round. And then I don't know how long it takes to them, them play it. It really depends on the on the difficulty, the amount of baddies. Where am I going with this? Okay. When I was playing multi-handed, I noticed that it takes much, much longer than playing solo. I mean, like much longer because there's more decisions to make. There's more baddies in the baddie queue because that, that obviously has to be. And it just it just takes longer. I got to a point where I had one progress off of defeating the tyrant, and I've been playing for about three hours. And I thought, great, I'll do this one more scenario, and then I'll fight the tyrant. That will take me about three and a half, four hours tops. That's not bad. But then I failed that scenario, and I just went, no, I can't be bothered. Yeah, like I've been playing it for too long now, and I don't, I don't want to do another one. I just don't want to do another one anymore. Um, and it wasn't like a rage quit thing. It was just like, I don't have the energy. Like in my mind, I was like, okay, there's one more round after this. And then I couldn't put my feet up because it's it's normal, I think, to get fatigued after playing for that amount of time. But I was just like, okay, I'm now I'm done. Like I've I checked out. I don't have enough energy to do two more rounds. I had enough energy for one more. Uh, I'm checking out and I'm not, and I packed it away. Absolutely. I I 100% agree. I have to admit, I gave up my last game because I was winning. I was doing fine. I hadn't lost a single encounter. It was going really well. And this is coming off the back of losing a load of games. And I was like, oh yeah, it's more fun if you're winning. And then I, and that was how I was feeling. But then I got another encounter card and another encounter card, another battle, another battle. And I turned turned around and I I said, I just, no, I, I can't do another one of these battles. I think part of the problem is that is the structure of the battles and the way that they come about, the way the dice roll, and maybe the sets of enemies I had in that game were particularly 
bad because they all had thick skin or hardy so it's just like trudging through treacle every fight oh another troll oh my god another troll (laughs) (laughs) and it's so it just got so grindy i got completely sick of it yeah well i i understand that feeling entirely you know I, i think it's just a thing of compared to some other adventure games you know exactly how long you're going to be playing for when you mm. miss that progress point like when you lose and you go now the game is just going to be longer now because i have to go and get that somewhere else are you invested enough to do it i i wasn't at that point it was it was an evening it was after work i was tired i didn't want to do it you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that's i think that makes total sense and i think Part of it is that it's an exhausting experience. The fights are exhausting, but they're exhausting not because they're complicated or brain burning. They're exhausting because they involve a lot of just physical effort, setting the pieces up, roll, rolling the dice, even on tabletop symptoms, rolling the dice over and rolling for the enemies. And that so often you'd roll the dice, you'd roll four of your dice, and then, okay, so I've rolled four attack dice and now i get to okay so i have to first of all look at their abilities right so they've got fixed skin so take one off for fixed skin right what else is there they've got defense dice on them okay so take off two and remove those two defense dice brilliant so i do one damage to that enemy and that's one of its six hit points that's my whole turn wow (laughs) Yeah. yeah yeah i will say though one thing i really appreciate about this game is and uh i it probably sounds like i'm being negative there are elements of this game I absolutely adore. I think there are some amazing parts of this game, and I'm by no ways finished with too many bones. This isn't me going, yeah, I had one game where I didn't want to finish it, so that's me done. No, not, not at all. And one thing that I do like is everything you mentioned there, that is all quite easy to see at a, at a glance. I was comparing it to like Gloomhaven and how the anim- enemies activate in Gloomhaven and who they target and are they going to target you? Are they closer to this person or this person? Will they move exactly in this direction or exactly in that direction? In Too Many Bones, when you get to the enemy's activation, it's very easy to know what they'll do. It's super easy. It's uh, This melee enemy isn't in range. Well, can they move to get into range? Yes or no? If yes, they do it. If no, okay, well, they'll move closer to someone. Who will they move closer to? Well, the closest enemy. If it's a tie, it says on their chip which way they're going to go. And then you just roll the dice they ask you to. And it's easy. It's all there. And yeah, the battles, like you said, they're not complicated or brain burning. They're just, I quite, I really like the gameplay of the battles. And I really, really liked how simple the enemy's activation was to take care of. You can really fly through a round or two rounds. It's fairly straightforward. One thing I do find a little bit odd is the amount of spaces there are on the battle. Like, it feels a bit like a skirmish game, but you're not allowed to move, (laughs) you know? Yes, I was just about to dive in and say that. I'm really glad that you like how simple it was. I personally thought that it was weird that it was so simple and claustrophobic and that the enemies always move two spaces so on a 16 space grid it works out that especially because they start near the center the the melee enemies they can always get to you pretty much or get you in two turns (laughs) and you can't escape them (laughs) 
know? Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why multi-handing is quite cool because you can try and manipulate in this really restrictive way how they can access you. You can be like, I'm going to put one character here and one character here. And looking at the activation, I can see exactly how that's going to play out and who they're going to attack. And you can make sure that they're attacking Picket, your tank, rather than Boomer, for example, who doesn't have as much health. And I found that really cool. There was like some room to manipulate in this really tight, claustrophobic system. But I did kind of miss the movement. Yeah. Why is it? Why is the battlefield so small? Like, why aren't there interesting choices for your characters to make for movement? Why? Why is it? I mean, it makes the game feel like just a, a dice chucker where you, you roll dice dice against the end, which is fine and, and obviously suits the name of the game. Too many bones, you roll the dice, keep rolling the dice. But then, why have a battlefield at all? Why not just make it a dice chucker game where you encounter tokens? What I, I got really kind of confused about why I was having to invest effort in setting up a queue of enemies, laying them out neatly on the board, rolling for their initiative, getting them in the exact positions they need to be, to just have the game stagnate with movement when everyone gets into their attack positions. They move from spawned positions to now they're attacking, and then they stick there for the rest of the game. Like, I don't know if you... Pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. The The melee units move to win range, and to just stand there and hit. The range units stay exactly where they are because they don't even need line of sight. They can just target anyone. So they just stay in a corner, right? <laughs> so it made me just really confused because it has all the sort of the dice rolling and dice chuckiness of a grand strategy game or a minis game even. But then none of the tactics, none of the interplay and the movement and the clever, cunning little stuff. It's, it's bizarre to me that it has a battlefield at all. Yeah, I kind of get that. Like I said, there are some times where you can manipulate things, but you are somewhat limited. And one thing I don't appreciate is that if you do choose to move, it then restricts how many dice you can roll after. Mm. Uh, so you have a dex- you have a stat called Dexterity, which I'm sure Scruffy said in his intro, that, uh, that, that determines how much dice you can roll. But it also determines your movement. So if you have four Dexterity and you move two spaces... That takes up two of your dexterity, which means you can only roll two more dice, which I guess thematically it makes sense, but not really. And also it kind of feels like with the small map, it's it's encouraging you to just stay still and roll dice yeah. and whoever gets the biggest number wins. Another thing encouraging that is the round timer. You can't just run away forever or do anything exciting with movement and, and tactics because after six rounds, you start taking a point of damage every turn. Yeah. And that can be a good thing because it also damages enemies, I think. Yes, it does. Yeah. So, you know, it can be a fun, interesting way to end the game with small enemies who have less health and you're trying to outrun them or whatever. But it's, I don't know, it's very, very rare that comes up. And it's it's more likely you just go, okay, well, I need to do damage to them now. I need to end this quick, quick, quick. You're always racing against the clock in too many bones. Yeah, it's not a bad thing because if it starts going on too long, it, it can be a bit tedious. But yeah, it does stop farming. It's yeah, I, I, I get you know, it's an important mechanic. Like I realized when I was playing, well, this enemy I was playing with Gilly, and he has a trap that saps their attack, and I had that enemy left. So I was like, well, why can't I just sit here and farm him for bones now to get all my highest bone rewards? That is one that lasts for the whole game, gives you a neck, you make sure innate power plus one and things like that. And then, oh, yeah, the, the round timer will tick on. So Yeah, which which is cool. And it also stops from being tedious. There are times where you go, oh, okay, uh, there's no way I can 
hit this enemy anymore. I've used up all my skill dice. Um, they've broken my sword because they have break as their ability. But they're on two health, and we're on round five, so that, that's fine. I know the game's going to end. And sometimes you can just go, well, if that's the case and I can outrun them, then I'll just... I'll just clear up here and I'll move on because I know I've won, which I think is fine. And it's necessary to have something like that to always give a clear ending, you know? Totally. And if you want that quick, snappy combat, it's another point in the thing of well, why have a battlefield at all? Like, just make this a dice chucker. No, I get it. I, I, I Like I said, I, I have had fun with the with the movement, but the most fun I had is, is a specific scenario where it, I think it was when I was playing solo. They asked me if I wanted to choose between doing the baddie queue in all level ones or if I wanted to take on opponents that were harder for me, but it gave me two free movement points that don't affect dexterity. And when I played that scenario, it was so good. Like the amount of planning increased so much because it wasn't just what dice do I choose. It was, what dice do I choose? And then at the end of your turn, you can move two more. So it was like, what dice do I choose? And where do I want to finish on the map? And Mm. where can they get me? Where can they not get me? And specifically, sometimes they're going to get me, but which one do I want to get me? Yeah, I mean that would be a nice little change, wouldn't it? Giving your character two free move every turn. Why? Why? Or maybe even maybe even one. It's a small map, you know. Maybe even just one. Yeah, maybe this would break the game, but. It didn't in that scenario, and it felt kind of fun. I, I thematically, I saw my character like running between their legs and turning around and throwing, you know, an axe into their back, and it felt fun. And it was kind of a bit, I don't know, cheeky, and I could see the story. That's nice. Yeah. I mean, it's also a shame because the enemies can move to the melee enemies can move to, and it doesn't affect their dice they can roll. So yeah. why have that baked in for your characters but not for the enemy characters? Yeah, and I'm sure that, I'm sure there are balance reasons for it, but but you can fix that in other ways, can't you? Just take out that sort of handicap of the skill points being a thing and suddenly you have a much more interesting game. It might fix everything. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean maybe, maybe. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure there are reasons. I'm sure it's been play tested to the hill and it's and the the best possible position it could be in at the moment. But I just think, yeah, I'm with you. Like, after, you know, maybe round two, all the movement has been done. You're going to stay there, and you're just going to roll dice and see who wins for the rest of the game. And Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, that's cool, because choosing the dice is really fun. And the dice mechanics, I think, are really interesting, especially if, you, you know, they're very different depending on who you're playing. Can we talk about that? Can we move on from the movement and talk about specifically how some of the dice mechanics work, like things like boomers, bombs, and stuff like that? Because yeah, I love boomer. Boomer's great. I think that's where the game really shines, the individuality and how the dice work, I think. So who, who do you have a favourite Gearlock Festival? I mean, it might be Boomer. I've only played Boomer the least, but I quite like Nugget. Nugget's really good. Uh, they are melee and ranged, but to be ranged, they have to spend tokens and they kind of get a buff in that they have really nice base stats, which I really like. Pickett's good too as a as a nice tank. There, I didn't ever play with Patches. I think he's the only one I didn't try out. Okay. But yeah, I think maybe Boomer. Maybe Boomer. Yeah, first time I played with Boomer, I actually messaged you like, wow, this is so much fun. Boomer has Boomer starts with 
three, is it three? No, four skill dice. Four skill dice. There's the element skill dice, the fuse skill dice, and there's one more. I can't remember. Casing. Casing. And then, and then the bomb counter, obviously. Boom counter. And so three of them are used that you, you roll, and it will tell you how much of each item you've managed to scavenge from the battleground. And Boomer has the ability that when you have one of each of them, you can put those in your locked position, so they stay there, tick them all down one in order to tick up your boom counter by one, which means that you now have a grenade. And the way you use your grenades is by using additional skill dice that you've unlocked to, to, to roll and see what the result is. So you'll then <laughs> tick your boom counter down by one. So let's say you only have one, you move it to zero. And you pick up a skill dice and roll it. And you have to, because you don't always have to with other gear locks, but with Boomer, you have to then keep the result of the grenade. That's such a lovely decision. And that's also really pleasurable to do as a player, to roll these three dice on one turn, to get the rolls you need, move them all down, tick up one other dice, tick that one back down to pick up a new one and roll that on a different turn. That's so much fun to do physically it's worth mentioning that the times you roll those dice the element casing and fuse it's in place of something else isn't it so you sit in there rolling that dice instead of attacking or defending right and so it's it's kind of just something you're sort of putting aside for later it's an investment in the future turns and when you start the game for at least when i start the game for i don't have any bomb dice like uh, frag or stunner to use for the bomb boom counter so i'm just ticking up bombs for the future when I eventually unlock one of these other dice. And then when you do, and I picked a frag one first, and you throw that frag grenade at a big enemy, it's very satisfying because that's something you set up encounters ago. Yeah, it's really fun. It's really fun, and it's very thematic. It feels like, especially because you're building these little handmade items, it feels kind of nice, like a nice little performative connect that you pick up all these little dice, you roll them, and then you manipulate them to go down by one to increase your amount that you have it feels like you're tinkering away building something is that just me am i crazy no i totally agree i I kind of wish the focus on the game had been more on that stuff i I don't know how it could have been but maybe part of it is stopping with the stupid base stats like maybe just get have a separate skill point for training point for your base stats and for your skills so that you are able to justify investing in these and the game gives you those rewards in in different ways i don't know how it could do it again i'm gonna say i'm gonna say just playing on easier difficulty i didn't have that problem i actually i know a lot of people really common criticism of too many bones is exactly what you just said that Mm. a lot of the time it's worth just investing in your base stats rather than your skill which is just inherently less exciting right yes i didn't have that problem so i was playing along and after like my third play of the game, I was thinking, why don't I have this problem? Why Why is it that everyone says this, but I'm not having the problem? I think it's only talking to you now that I realise the reason I felt like this and you didn't is because we played on different settings and it wasn't ever, it wasn't ever an issue for me. Yeah, I, but I think that's a design oversight. I think if you want to make the game the, the true experience, you can't sacrifice the fun. 
and the fun is the version you played where you get to invest in these skill dice. You just you need to in, in account for the difficulty in another way besides just stripping people of options for investing in the most engaging and exciting aspect of your game. That's just basic. I'm going to be honest as well. It's not that big a difference in terms of difficulty, I imagine. You get two more health for one additional training point. But two additional health, it sounds like a lot. If you're up against a level five enemy with three attack and they roll two, four, six, <laughs> those additional two health mean nothing. <laughs> they mean absolutely nothing. Well, I think I think that two health is pretty huge. Like you realize, yeah, I think you have to play on the hardest difficulty to realize what it's like to not have enough health. <laughs> but, perhaps, but, but perhaps, but I also know that it's very common to just get a bad roll. And then those additional two health, they really mean absolutely nothing in that case. Yeah, I have to agree to disagree with you on that. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure they probably are. But I've had, I've had games where you just get wiped out in a roll. You just go, okay, they've got one health now, and I guess you're saying, well, at least they got another turn. Yeah, if they, if they just got one health, that one health meant everything, then didn't? It? <laughs> yeah, I suppose I see that. But it's very easy to just get beaten up, regardless of what difficulty you're playing on. It's very easy to just get smacked about. It doesn't always happen, but I think that's part of the game that I find really exciting. I. I really enjoyed the game. By and large, I enjoyed it a lot. And I think playing it phys- playing the physical copy had a lot to do with it because it is such a ta- such a tactile experience. I mean, the components in Too Many Bones are absolutely ridiculous. I mean, ridiculous. But yeah, I, I love messing about with it. I love playing it. I'm going to play it more. I hope I can get the playtime down. But again, like I said, I don't really know how. One thing I'd be excited to try is try and co-op over solo because at least then there's another pair of hands to do some of the admin you know do some of the moving even if it's just for that reason i'd be really excited to try it not solo yeah and i think it would be interesting seeing other people come with their different gear locks having a designated player be the the tanky character and a designated player be the the healer of the group or whatever it'd be it'd be kind of nice i could see a sense of camaraderie from that uh, the game calls itself a dice builder RPG. Did you feel like there were really sh- any strong role playing elements in the game? Because that's something that always made me kind of cringe a little when I read it. So yeah, the highlight for me for that was where you meet your nemesis before you're ready. This happened with the first nemesis of the game, Tyrant. So yeah, I'm saying nemesis, aren't I? Yeah, Tyrant. I'm, I played too much Aeon's End. So yeah, the first Tyrant of the game, Nom. Each of them has sort of Tyrant cards they add to the encounter deck. And Nom's one is a work of beauty. I think a few of them are similar. I think uh, Mulmesh had a similar thing happen where you, because some of them don't have this and it's a shame, you encounter the Tyrant before you're ready, basically. And instead of having to defeat them, you just have to survive. And I just thought that was so cinematic. You know, having this moment, and I, I kind of wish the games more. Obviously, more games should do it for a start, but because it, it teaches you what you're coming up against, it gives you an idea of how to prepare for them. I realized, okay, so this is what Nom is. He's a thick skin four enemy or whatever. I need to get stuff that does true damage, and it does that all in an organic and interesting way. It's a shame to me that that might not appear in every game. I think it'd be it'd be lovely if you just had after those three initial flavorful nice cards that give you skill points stuff immediately you meet your nemesis you have to survive the fight it might get a bit repetitive but i think there are enough nemesises that it could be varied and you could tweak it and things and it would just be so nice 
Yeah, those kind of tyrant encounters, they do feel like, wow, something really interesting is happening now. And yeah. the first time where you think, wow, instead of just being like buffeted about from random encounter to random encounter, there's like an element of an overarching story now. Mm. It would just be a really nice way to give you an idea of how to build your gear lock without spelling it out, without saying, we recommend you build health, then dexterity, then get one point in each of these things. Because you, you you are able to figure it out as a player. You come across the nemesis and have to fight them. Okay, this guy's really attack heavy. Maybe I should invest in some defense dice. Okay, this guy you know has really tough armor. I need to invest in my skill that can break that. It's exciting, it's fun, and it's engaging. Yeah. And I'd love to have seen more of that. No, I, the tyrant encounters are a real highlight of the game. I think mm. I think the game's... Yeah, the, this, this is one thing that I find quite interesting about like the randomness in Too Many Bones, is uh, there is a lot of randomness, a lot of different types. You know, it it switches from input to output randomness on a dime in this game. I'm sure our listeners already know exactly what I'm talking about, but for you guys who may have not heard that term before, uh, input randomness is the idea that the random event happens and then you make a decision based on the random event. And output randomness is the idea that you make a decision and then a random event happens to determine the success or failure of that decision. So a good example in other games would be like the dice rolling in Castles of Burgundy is input randomness. You roll the dice, you make a decision. The dice rolling in Risk, for example, would be output randomness. You make a decision, you roll some dice. Cool. Don't want to don't teach you all to suck eggs. I'm sure everybody who's listening already knows that. But just in case you didn't, now you do. It switches between the two all the time. So like you have an encounter card... So the, the, the random event happens, and then you make a decision. But then once you make the decision, you then get the randomness of the enemies pulling out. So like immediately from one random event, you have a decision to make. Okay? Because, because of the decision you just made, now more random stuff is going to happen, which is like output. But now because you know what enemies you're facing by random design you get to choose where you place your characters. So you're back to like input where you saw the randomness and then you make a decision. And I just found it really, it kind of made me smile the way it just kind of flip flops between the two and the randomness made me feel like, yeah, like anything could happen in this game. And, but you always get the, the game kind of gives you these brief moments to go, well, what do you think about that? Do you, do you want to do something differently now? No, and not, not in a big way, but in a, just a kind of nice way. I really enjoyed that. I don't know what you think about that, Scruffy. Yeah, I mean, I hate to be negative again. I feel like I've been really, really harsh on the game this episode, but I, I totally see where you're coming from with that. And I think that's a really fun thing. I just wish that the end result wasn't that it came down to randomness of rolling the dice and success or failure is then obviously based ultimately on if you succeed at rolling the dice. <laughs> yeah, I don't I didn't mind. I think the clue's in the name, right? It's too many bones. You yeah. Know? Get with the yeah. program, Scruffy. <laughs> sure. And I, okay, if it wants to do that, brilliant. I found myself asking a lot throughout the game, what is it testing me on? Mm. Because it's not clearly not testing me on how I build my character. It's telling me how to build my character. Mm. So that's not what it's testing me on. It's not testing me on uh, what choices to make in a strategic battle because the battlefield's too small. I can't move anywhere. I have the choice of attacking or defending. It's not that, it's not that complicated. And, and then that's taken away from me again by the randomness. So it's not a choice. It's not a strategic, a strategic choice. And my ultimate 
the conclusion was I'm being tested on how lucky I get. And that's fine in a game, but not in a game that's purporting to be a strategy game. It's not it's not giving us tools to make interesting strategic decisions, in my opinion. See, I thought about this as well. I think there's a couple of things I flip-flop between what I thought about the randomness of the dice rolling. One is I don't really care because I knew it was a lot of dice rolling. So I I knew I was in the mood to do it. You know, I was in, when I played Too Many Bones, I was ready to, to do that. But I did think, you know, put my put your podcast head on, analyze this. What do you think about it? And part of me said, well, you know what dice are like. The more you roll them, the less it's luck, the more it's just probability. <laughs> That's how it works. It's if you're rolling dice all the time, then it's not about luck, it's about probability. But then I thought, but some dice are more important than others. Rolling your holy hand grenade with Boomer is much more important than rolling two attack and two defense when the enemy only has one health left. But then I thought, but that creates really interesting moments in the game. And it's in those moments where you smile and go, that was such a cool moment in the story, you know? So again, I just kept flip-flopping between, and I don't, I still don't think yeah. I'd land somewhere on it. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Like, the the dice are, when we say they're random, it's not a one to six random. It's a, a one, two, or a zero, isn't it? And that zero is sort of half a point, right? <laughs> like, you get yeah. to use somewhere else and so it's really a choice of investment in your consumables and your one use things and it's like it's the same thing you have in video games where you want to hoard your potions and never use them in fights because (laughs) a bigger fight might be around the corner right it doesn't feel pleasurable to use those things on small fry you want to save them up for the big fry so it's it's an interesting kind of I guess the question it's asking you is how to manage those resources. Boomer's the perfect embodiment of it, right? When do you use up her bombs? When do you start making more bombs? And I think she kind of nails the game in a way that she is the the kind of cornerstone of what the game is trying to get you to to work on is how to use those consumables effectively and for the to to mean that you always succeed. But the decision is kind of taken out of your hands by the fact that the context for it all is really random, that the enemies keep spawning randomly, that there's there's so much other stuff. There are no divergent paths. You know, it's binary. You have to win or lose. I don't know. It it, it just feels like you don't have choice as a player. There's not enough agency for you. You feel scruffy. For me, yeah. Okay. I didn't have a problem where I felt like I was locked in. There were some elements, you know, like the movement I've already alluded to. I I felt like playing on the easier difficulty meant that I could start diverging as much as I wanted to regarding my skills from a lot earlier on in the game anyway. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have those necess- those criticisms that, that you have. And I, th- I think the agency is there for me. It's definitely a game of rough edges, right? That is what we asked for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although I do feel like the, the battlefield looks like it's sanded down so much it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just want to ask you quickly um, on how you feel about the progress and day timer and that being the kind of ultimate goal of the game. Well, I think it, it makes it makes sense, uh, mostly. But when I had that experience when I've been playing for long enough now and I just need one more progress, I kind of felt like, oh, yeah, I've already explained. I've already, I don't want to rehash yeah. what I've already spoken yeah. about, but... That's that kind of made me feel like I wish there was another way. I wish I could just fight the boss now, mm. you know. And the game's kind of forcing me to sit in the chair longer and play it. Yeah, 
See, I had a kind of a wild thought. I don't know if you think this would be a better a better thing, but I was thinking why because it'd be lovely. I don't I didn't like the times. I thought they were a bit boring. But why wouldn't it be nice if you had your party on a little map? And I mean they've got a, a token battlefield. They might as well have a token map in there. And just the map is just pictures uh, the spaces with um with pictures of the nemesis is on throughout towards the, the later spaces. And you have a set number of days you need to get to those spaces to fight those nemesis by. And maybe you could even have divergent paths on there, however you wanted to do it. But that way you don't pick your nemesis right at the start. You pick your nemesis when you think you're ready to fight a nemesis. And you could even have challenges if you want to increase the difficulty where you have to take on multiple bosses in a run or something. That's so funny you say that because that component actually exists already. Really? But not in the exact same way. Although oh, okay. when you're saying it like that, I see no reason why you couldn't play it that way. So there so is make a, your own sort of homegrown version. With so, <laughs> so yeah, so there is a map um, that you can buy as an add-on. I think it might come with one of the expansions or you just can just buy it as an add-on. Mm-hmm. But there is a map as a day tracker and there is, on the further away spaces, are the nemesis. I thought, it's Scruffy joking, he must have seen this component, right? It doesn't come in the base game. But you still choose who you're fighting. And the reason you have to choose who you're fighting is because they all use different enemies in their encounters, don't they? Yes, yes. I'm, that, that's something I'm aware of, yeah, for sure. Like, so so you, you still have to, but you do move, instead of tracking the days, uh, you, you do still track your pro. Instead of, you, you track your, your days, but you also track your progress by moving uh, a counter along this map until you eventually get to your nemesis. The only difference between that and your idea is that in your idea, you don't choose the nemesis before you begin. See, I, I like the idea of having it kind of happen organically. I think it would be really cool if you could just have a big stack of all the enemies and just have your nemesis decide who you want to fight. It feels like the the theme, because going back to what you asked me a while ago about the, the, the sort of narrative of it and the RP of it, it feels like you're just kind of improving the whole way through you, you've got your gear locks they're just trying to work their way out encounter things as they come up so i, I feel it would be lovely if you didn't have a specific i keep i've said nemesis every time this episode specific tyrant that you're fighting if you just kind of was like oh we're here now we feel good we can fight this tyrant let's fight this tyrant i'm ready to end the game now that would be exciting for me maybe that's a variant maybe that's a variant where you just play with all the chips you just use all the enemy chips it would add some even more rough edges in yeah <laughs> Why, but why not? They already exist. I, I guess, why not? Why not? But overall, I liked Too Many Bones, and I like Too Many Bones, and I'm go- I am going to keep playing, and I probably am going to get the expansions because some of the additional gear locks look great. The undertow uh, looks, looks, looks great. The splice and dice looks wonderful. It's an interesting system that you can very easily add things to and change things up. I can see that. And that makes me want to come back and keep playing. Mm. But because it's such an easy system to keep adding to, it does mean that, like we said, there are these rough edges where you encounter something that's just not winnable. You encounter something that is just too hard for you right now. Your lonely character on day four going up against four other guys is just going to get smacked about the head. Mm. Uh, I think you have to be okay with that. And by and large, I am. I think I'm much more okay with losing earlier on in the game when I still have lots of energy to keep playing. Uh, I think losses towards the end kind of feel like, okay, how much longer is this going to go on for now? But 
I don't know. I don't know if I prefer it solo or multi-handed. I enjoyed the additional decision space. I felt like the movement on the map was more interesting in a multi-handed game because you can make the decision of who's going to stand where, where the who is the who are the enemies going to target if I place this character here and this character there, for example. But um, it just added so much more time to the game, and mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if that's worth it maybe maybe as i get more adept at setting up quickly like i was saying i was speaking to varga on the discord about setting up and they said oh i'm at a point with the game now i basically don't read the encounter cards and i think i don't know if that's a good thing like what's the point of having them yeah i didn't find i i started to skim over the encounter cards i didn't find them engaging or interesting to be honest, I've been so harsh on this game. I want to say it is a slog. There are some neat mechanics. I definitely don't think it's the game for me. It does the sort of randomness that I wasn't, haven't ever been a massive fan of. But yeah, I think overall, I can see how it could be fun to play. I think it would probably be more fun in a group than solo because I think that a lot of the experience is depending on finding the identity of the gear locks and that that would be a much easier thing to do in a group where you could immerse yourself in that and even RP to some extent. Yeah, I did feel like the role-playing element was missing from solo play. When it called itself a dice-building RPG, I thought, there's no role-playing going on. Mm. I'm not not the role of my character. I'm just trying to win. Yeah, yeah. I think it needs... I think the focus for the macro stuff is where it really fell down. Like the battlefield should be bigger. The progress dice and the day timer didn't feel like an interesting macro thing. Like if I won an encounter and I got to tick up the progress thing, that's well, okay. That wasn't very exciting. If I was moving on a map or, you know, actually feeling like I was making progress, maybe it would be more interesting. These feel like easy fixes. And I don't know why they didn't just go that extra mile with it. So here's some things that I love about Too Many Bones, just to be on the flip side, because I kind of agree with everything Scruffy said, and you've already heard negative things that I have to say. Setting up Too Many Bones and sitting down to play feels pretty epic. It feels like I was about to start an adventure every time. I, on the other hand, compared to Scruffy, I did like reading the encounters. I thought that the rules for each encounter were thematically interesting based on the based on the narrative that that is pre-written on the cards i remember i played at one scenario where i was fighting on a bridge and you were only allowed to use one lane on the map and i just thought that was really nice that was really cool it's so different i already mentioned that the there was the other encounter where i was able to have the additional movement points little rules like that with really nice thematic tie-ins are are cool and I enjoyed that element and I did find that engaging. It's got a lot to love. The dice mechanics are brilliant. When you play a different gear lock, it feels like learning the game all over again because they all do so many different things. But here's what's lovely. First time I played, I played with Tantrum and I thought, I'm going to need to move on to the next character as soon as possible because I need to play everyone for the podcast. As soon as I finished the game, I set up again with Tantrum (laughs) <laughs> because there's enough there to keep going back to the same ones and learn and try things different and just get better at being the same character. And that's a really good sign. It means that there is depth there and that depth may come from the order of which you level up. That depth may come from how you manage your resources or 
it might just come from luck, like Scruffy said, but there is definitely depth there. And it is cool that they're all unique, but I had a lot of fun just playing the same. Obviously, I did play, I played all four that come with the base game, but I was perfectly happy playing the same one again and again because it, that was also really fun. And I think that's a good sign. Yeah. I think one thing I would say is they're really interesting fish in a really too small pond. <laughs> that's what it feels like to me the, the the characters are where it shines and the even the enemies are interesting and diverse the tyrants are cool and interesting unique have unique abilities even the loot's kind of interesting in some ways oh definitely but the uh the the, the big the big stuff the big picture stuff is just too confined and tight and Arbitrary. Uh, we should also talk about the lockpicking game. That's pretty cool. The little mini game for lockpicking the trove loot. Yeah, did you enjoy it? Yeah, it was all right. <laughs> I think that's all we need to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, there's a lot of that. There's also uh, a darts game that I had to... Yeah, <laughs> how good was that? <laughs> it was all right. <laughs> it was just rolling dice. It's kind of yeah. It's kind I of didn't weird. understand. Like I thought, I'd sat down and learn all the rules to this game, and then, and just a, a quick note on the rules: they are not too complicated, but my god, are they vague in places? And I just I wanted to scream at the rule book sometimes. I spent ages googling and searching for different things to look up in unique interactions for they, they don't have a clear appendix for things that they need it just says one line and that's not enough i spent so long trying to work out what a locked dice meant versus an active dice ah but anyway that aside there's so many weird little mini games and mini rules that the game just keeps throwing at you now and again it, it felt a bit strange to a bit like uh, a more even more of a exhausting process than a... that's it it's kind of exciting because it's like discovering new things that you didn't even know were in the game right but like you said it is kind of exhausting because if you're i don't know three quarters of the way through a multi-handed adventure now it's time to play darts <laughs> and go right i've been playing for three hours already and then they go okay all right play this mini game what mini game oh you need to look it up do you mean i need to look it up <laughs> i've been playing for three hours <laughs> i don't want to learn more rules i just want to fight the bloody tyrant <laughs> and that happens on a macro level all the time as well like okay so you you, you asked me some question about tantrum and whether his uh, lashback works on an enemy that does has thick skin or something i can't even remember and it's like these things aren't clear yeah it says you know lashback says something like um when attacked deal x amount of damage when x is the number of lashback you've got on your dice mm. cool simple i had a defense dice uh so i got attacked and it didn't do any damage does my lashback trigger but it doesn't say so i have to like look it up on an faq and yeah. the stuff like that all the time in the yeah, there's a lot of that, a lot of that. Yeah, and it it's people playing too many. He's played too many bones, loads and loads. So like, well, of course that's not how lashback works. But cast your mind back when you didn't know. Like, it isn't there, and it doesn't say you've got this enormous rules reference sheet, which yeah. is great. I don't mind having enormous rules reference sheet. If the rules were on there. <laughs> yeah, it should have been a whole book. Like you have the rule book's fine. It's it's clearly written, you know, but it, it does leave a lot open to interpretation. And a lot of it is, oh, you have to reference this elsewhere, which is fine. You've got your gear lock sheet, so you can read all that. 
We just need an, an appendix, massive appendix. More board games need to just have a massive appendix of all the interactions explained so that you can quickly, on the fly, look it up, lashback. Okay, lashback related to this, done. I know it now. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I think that's probably enough on too many bones. Yeah. I, th- I think it does some really interesting things with randomness. Obviously, not your cup of tea entirely, Scruffy. But mm-hmm. I really enjoyed all the little, the mine, minute decisions you get to make in between the random events and the kind of the game that exists in those small spaces. And then the dice mechanics and, oh, yeah, there's so many pleasurable interactions and just pleasurable tactile things to do in the game it's a very tactile game yeah 100% agree you know i can totally see this being some somebody's favorite game for sure for me it it's not my cup of tea but i don't know it's it's a nice ambition to just kind of buck convention isn't it you know and just be like and i, I kind of i kind of admire the fact that it just goes yeah this this scenario is really hard mm. yeah you did just roll four attack dice and they were all, you know, ones or twos and you're nearly dead already. <laughs> Deal with it, <laughs> you yeah. know? I mean, um, you can't roll higher than ones or twos. That's all good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I meant I meant ag- against yourself. You rolled four enemy dice, yeah, three enemy yeah. dice, you know? Oh, uh, when you get a run of bad luck like that and the enemy rolls a bunch of twos on you and you go, what? That's not <laughs> possible. You're only allowed to do free damage. You have free attack <laughs> It's not possible. You're only allowed to do three or less. Those are the rules. <laughs> That's what I'm allowed to do. So, yeah, it's nice when you get those little dramatic moments there. Yeah, it's cool. Okay, um, should we move on to questions? Yeah, questions. What's uh, before we look at the responses we got from last episode's question, Scruffy? What's the what's the question for this episode? So the question this episode is, what is your favourite unique character in a solo board game? For example, are you a Norowas or a Tovac fan? Do you like to play as Nugget or Boomer? We'd love to know in a game with asymmetry where you pick up a character, who your favourite character to play in the game is. Yeah, are you an Iron Man or a Spider-Man? Are you a Hulk or Thor? Where do you sit on that spectrum? Who's your favourite? What do they do? What part of the game do they access that other characters don't? And why are they so much fun to play? Yeah, because I think for too many bones, like like we did end up kind of concluding there, Boomer is an embodiment of all the best things about the game, right? And so for, for, too, many, for too many bones, I think Boomer's the winner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think I'd probably tentatively agree with you with the caveat that i want to keep playing because i feel like there's more to each of these characters awesome okay brilliant so yeah start to get your responses in but uh before we end the show i'm going to read out the responses we got from last episode's question the question from last episode was what has been your favorite play session of 2020 so we were obviously looking back at our our year in the hobby and on the podcast and we just thought it'd be nice to ask you guys what what were some of your favorite gaming moments of 2020? So the first response we got in was from Peter Lovelace. Mm-hmm. So Peter Lovelace said he visited Mac Gerditz at his home to try his new solo mode for his game Concordia, which is one of uh, Peter's... Wow. Yeah, pretty cool, right? Yeah. It's one of Peter's favorite board games, so it was really strange to play a solo game in front of someone, and even more so because it was the author of the game. When he forgot some small bookkeeping, 
he heard a grunt because, of course, the designer wants his design to be easy to manage, which it is, but this was his first time trying without any written rules in front of him. In addition, he didn't want to play stupid moves, so it was really tense. Oh, man. Yeah, could you imagine playing yeah. it? <laughs> I mean, well, I played Railway Station in front of Kendall, and uh, that wasn't too much pressure. <laughs> but when he took a, a, a backseat, he joked about it, and they laughed together, so that sounds really nice. Mm. Afterwards, they ended up playing a two-player game against each other. It was one of the most competitive solo plays because I wanted to play well for him. And for the designer as well, in a weird way. That's nice. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, when we did uh, when we played Railway Station, obviously it was uh, probably a, a bit of a lighter game, I'd say. And I don't know, it, it all felt pretty pretty simple and easy to go through, didn't it? And it's also different because Kendall has been our friend and in our game group for so many years that it felt very natural. Also, we've worked on developing games together, so it's kind of felt pretty natural just to go over a new game idea together. And it was a surprise when it was fully formed and actually a good game, not just like an idea for a game. <laughs> I think I expected when he said, I've got this game, it'd be like half made, but it was no, it was, it was a game. It was basically the version that it is now. <laughs> yeah, almost exactly the version it is now. Yeah. So we also had Rob write in. So Rob said his favorite and his runner up favorite solo experience of 2020 are as follows the first one was very recent it was his first play of seventh continent having felt like this game was hard to get i was happily surprised to see it was available at an affordable price directly from the manufacturer then playing it he was able to spread it out on his dining room table because his significant other was out of town that was a nice treat and the gameplay itself was so immersive so he played one curse, which was nine hours over two days. The story that emerged from his choices felt very unique, and he can't wait to play it again, even though he lost the first attempt. Also, the gameplay just flowed. It was very sensical. The second one is a runner-up, which was his solo game of One Deck Dungeon, while on vacation in San Diego by the pool. So he had his headphones on and some beer at a table to himself by the pool. That's when he realized solo gaming can be fun as how and super zen. Ultimately, yeah. the wind blew his cards away. <laughs> 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 yeah, <laughs> which is why this is a runner up because my zen moment was taken from me by Mother Nature. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, I've, I've never been brave enough to play a game outside. I, maybe one or two, but like, I don't know. What about you, Scruffy? Not really outside, outside. Like I played sort of... I wasn't really into solo gaming any time I was allowed outside. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. Afterman wrote in and said he's going to be a shameless fanboy, and he's going to say that the Mage Knight tournament that we ran was 100% his favourite gaming moment of 2020. Wow, nice. Very nice. So Afterman wins. Yeah, good choice. Good choice, Afterman. You are, you are now our new favourite listener, obviously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we rank you all. <laughs> yeah, we'll be doing our top five list. of. <laughs> you, you can find out the ranking if you sign up to the top tier of our patron. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, that's going to that's gonna go on social media. Okay. Right. Yes, good choice. I really enjoyed that too. Me too. I mean, where did you finish in the end? Was it like the penultimate round? Yeah, I didn't make it to... I did. I, yeah, I got to the Megaropolis round, but I didn't manage to 
so yeah, it was the, the sort of finals, wasn't it? Because that was the round that everyone got knocked out on, except our winner. Yeah, except for Sunspear. Well done again. So Banana wrote in and said his favourite gaming session 2020. Can't really pinpoint only to one, to be perfectly honest. He had so many new and interesting experiences that he feels he cannot favour one. But here are some highlights. Now, there's quite a few here, so I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, Banana. I hope that's okay. Uh, the first one is playing Mage Knight for the first time. He got his butt kicked repeatedly. <laughs> it was probably the first big heavy game he took a big plunge on. I spent days on his table. First play took hours over several days. Lost the first six or seven plays. Finally won the solo scenario. Bought it due to the rave reviews from the group, meaning our Discord. But yeah, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Yes, yeah, for sure. I think we've all been there with uh, getting getting our butts kicked on the first few games of Mage Knight. Uh, the second one is he played an RPG for the first time and a solo one at that. Again, the podcast got him to try Iron Swan and he was hooked so much so that he got his family to play a one-shot with him. Got his brother to play with him, and I think they're still playing together as well, which is pretty cool. Can't wait for Starforged. Really hoping to make it a priority to play this year, as he's playtested it a bit, but been too shy to post on our Discord, which is sweet. Oh, that's cute. Third one is he played Friday. Somehow he hasn't lost a game game of Friday yet, so he has the Scruffy Syndrome there. Yeah, just you wait. If you uh, make an episode about it, you'll lose. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, start a podcast. This is the cure. Start a podcast, do an episode about how easy it is, and play it again, and then you'll lose. (laughs) So this was his first solo-only board game he ever purchased, and he got it right after listening to our Friday episode. And fourth and final one from Banana is Marvel Champions. Marvel Champions is his first living card game, and he's surprised that he loved it so much after being hesitant to play any LCGs. Tried it, it was fantastic. Maybe LCGs aren't so bad after all. He says, I guess the main highlight has been trying out new experiences. Regardless of what I might think of something, it's always worth trying out for the new experience. I've really come to love this hobby. So I'm hoping this year brings even more experiences. And when possible, he can bring his wife along for the ride as well. Fantastic. Sounds like you've uh, gone through a really similar journey to the two of us. It's uh, really lovely to hear. And yeah, those are all really amazing highlights. Yeah, there was a lot of firsts. First LCG, first RPG, first solo only board game. Yeah. Those are some those are some awesome highlights. Yeah. Thank you for writing in. I said on the Discord actually, I said that sounds like a love letter to solo gaming, which is not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, a nice progression for anyone who hasn't isn't into it. Just uh, give them bananas playlist and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. here are the highlights yeah absolutely that was friday move to mage night get your ass kicked solo rpg make yourself feel better <laughs> and then just do an lcg to relax yeah <laughs> just to sink some money into yeah for sure <laughs> around christmas time hen said his favorite gaming session of 2020 is a play of vast the crystal caverns that he organized for his birthday in january before the pandemic hit really hard in europe he prepared all the roles the night before and told the others to learn their role. I played uh, as the cave and tried to manipulate every character so that the game got really long and close. I think in the end, the night won, but I'm not sure. It didn't really matter. Everyone had a lot of fun. The takeaway is preparing the teach is very valuable and smooths the entry into games with steep learning curves. I agree. Yeah. 
yeah for sure i think that, that sounds like a lot of fun and we talked about vast before didn't we and uh yeah it's definitely on my to playlist even if it's not a solo game for sure i actually don't know if it's solo or not i've never really looked into it uh have we got time for one more of course we do so chadrick 75 wrote in and said his favorite gaming session occurred over the summer most of the gaming this year was solo but this was the only time since february that my gaming group got together set up a canopy uh, in the backyard with folding tables and chairs. They did a little barbecue. Then we set up a game of bolt action. We set up a scenario of American Airborns versus German infantry. The objective was take the bridge. They played for two hours and the final American soldier died with a few steps off the bridge. Fantastic time being able to socialize and play a game we all love. Looking forward to more gaming like this in the future. Doesn't that sound like a distant, distant memory of another time, Scruffy? It really does, doesn't it? Well, that will be around the campfires or the the flaming barrels and being, oh, I remember when we'd meet up at Waterstones Cafe and <laughs> yeah. play our board games. Yeah, I mean... Or we'd, have, we'd have friends over to our house and we'd all sit around the table and play... <laughs> in the same room yes 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 across the table we handle the same pieces <laughs> i pass a card in a drafting game <laughs> but didn't you all die no, no. <laughs> yeah uh, it all sounds like a different time like when we were talking about on, on the last episode i wanted to bring up a, a memory of some of my fondest multiplayer experiences from the year but I didn't bring him up in the end because I thought it would just make the episode too sad. <laughs> <laughs> because we can't do it anymore, you know? There's some great times that we had earlier on in the year, you know, like January and February, meeting up in cafes. Yeah. At the beginning of the last year, I had a different job um, that had to end because of COVID, uh, unfortunately. But uh, during that job, I, I had some days off in the week. And Scruffy, you obviously work for yourself. So we were able to to meet up just completely on our own on a quiet afternoon and just play games all day. That, I mean, that seems like it's probably not going to happen ever again. Well, that's what it feels like anyway. I can't wait for, I can't wait for that to, to get back to normal, to be perfectly honest with yeah. you. Yeah, with, with you 100%. But yeah, that was all the responses we got from last episode's question. Thank you so much for writing in everyone. Uh, Scruffy, just remind everyone the uh, question for this episode. So the question for this episode is who is your favorite character from a solo board game so if you want to answer that question you can write in on our discord we have links to our discord in the description why won't you join it's free we're not we don't have <laughs> you don't have cooties you can just jump in and we have an awesomely nice community there's a channel called listener questions just drop your response in there if you don't want to do that that's fair enough as well we do have an email address. It's alwaysplayeronepodcast at gmail.com. If social media is your bag, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, at alwaysplayeronepodcast on Instagram. Facebook links are in the description. Just drop us a direct message. We'll be happy to uh, to respond and to read out your, your, your response from this episode. If you like Reddit, we're on Reddit as well. We're always underscore player underscore one. And we post in the solo board gaming subreddit at least once every two weeks. So keep an eye out for us there as well. I think that's probably everything from this episode, though. 
Don't forget that if you sign up to our Patreon, you will have access to the planning phase, so you can get additional content next Friday. But until then, if not, we will see you in two weeks for another episode. Scruffy, any, do, you to, do you want to sign off? Do you want to, do you want to end the show? Thanks for listening. Have a great week, guys, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support the show, don't forget to check out our Patreon page. The links to that are in the description. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Always Player One. Until then, reach out on Facebook, Instagram, or by email to keep the conversation going.